0: My global IQ is 109. Hi, Moibon. 100. 105. 147. 126. Hi, everyone, and welcome. The description of unprecedented and uncertain times seems wanting, especially now. But clearly, leaders and their employees are searching for the appropriate way to steer through these uncharted waters. And there are few people more experienced and qualified than our guest, Tom Peters, to provide strong and tested advice on best business practices. He's a native of Baltimore. And I have to say, having grown up in Virginia, I wasn't surprised when he said that he had a lacrosse stick in one hand and oars in the other. Armed with an engineering degree from Cornell, Tom uh, served in the United States Navy, where he was a CB. And he had actually two deployments to Vietnam. Then, he moved to the Nixon White House, where he was a special advisor on drug abuse. And from there, he earned his uh, MBA and PhD in Organizational Behavior at the same time that he was working with McKinsey and & Company. And he used that time as a period to uh, really be the launchpad for the stage of his career that, that we know so well. In 1982, he and his co-author, Bob Waterman, published the classic, In Search of Excellence. And yeah, it was a century ago, but NPR in 1999 named In Search of Excellence as one of the top three books of the 20th century. And from there, the Peters brand took off. As the CEO of Floyd Consulting said, I'd rather hire someone who has studied Peters writings than someone who has an MBA. Great to see you again, Tom. I guess it's been about a year and a half since you were in Dallas.
1: Yeah, the, uh, the last book was 2018 and I came down and saw you guys and my pal Carl Sewell shortly thereafter.
0: So let's begin uh, with this because today is Juneteenth Day, a uh, celebration that really commemorates uh, when slaves in the state of Texas realized that they were free. It, it took two years for it to get to Texas, but it does have special significance here and especially now around the United States. And you and I have both lived through the civil rights movement, uh, the protests in the 60s. When you look back and you consider that, and now you look at BLM, Black Lives Matter, do you think this truly is a turning point, a lasting turning point for how our nation's wounds will be healed?
1: I think it's a lasting realization point. And it's too early to say whether or not it'll be a turning point. The thing that was fascinating to me, and I hope you'll respond because it's a fresh thought that I had. First of all, I said, you know, at first when this happened, I said the people said, this is the most incredible thing in the world. I said, I was in Washington DC for the King riot. So don't give me that. But it seems to me that it's two separate pieces. We fixed a lot of describable problems during the civil rights movement. But in retrospect, we didn't touch this deep grained inequality, which has now come to the very top of the list and which does not in any way reduce the importance of, uh, you know, of what happened in round one. But this, I want to say this was a bigger deal. It's, it's cellular deep, molecular deep. And, you know, the, I, I was a, out to say something is totally inappropriate uh, we're not going to fix it overnight and so we are going to continue to have things such as inappropriate shootings so it's not like if we can only get through the first one everything will be okay I'm sorry to say it's going to keep on happening as we've seen in the last two or three weeks uh, but I think it's an enormous deal you know I've spent a lot of the last 25 years on women's issues uh, and, and in uh, about a month from now, two months from now, we will have the celebration of the 100th anniversary of the 19th amendment, which gave women the right to vote. I mean, one thing that's fascinating about that to me, and I am a hundred years old, is to think that it was so recent that we gave women the vote. But no, I think it's a huge deal uh, from my perspective which may be a little self-serving the things as you well know that I care about, I believe are more important than ever. And maybe my, to summarize it in two words, my people first message will take on between COVID-19 and this will take on a different coloring. I mean, with the COVID-19 thing uh, and it was, you know, I'm not going to write the book, but it was a, business book writers dream. There were people who responded extraordinarily well, and there were people who responded horribly. And, uh, you know, if you ever want in search of excellence and in search of crap, you you know, you, you've you got two halves, halves to the book.
0: I think in a few minutes, I want to get to some of those companies and leaders. And even though you might be 100 years old, I think you still have time to write that book, and I hope you you will. You know, you raise a good point though, because when you looked at what happened in the 60s and 70s and beyond, it really was legal. And now what you're seeing is so many people really looking within themselves and changing the culture. And I may be wrong about this, um, and I hope I'm not getting ahead of my skis, but it seems to me that in the LGBTQ community, some of the cultural issues changed before the legal, and here what you're seeing is legal before culture.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'll be the, I will be the moderator and you be the guest. I think that, I think that no, I think that's an absolutely brilliant analysis. I mean, I happen to, by sheer coincidence, I went to work for McKinsey & Company in San Francisco in 1974, and that's just when the gay coming out party was going on and the epicenter of it was indeed San Francisco. But it absolutely speaks to, you know, to what you were saying. It was the moral, emotional thing then and the legislation and so on caught up later.
0: So your parents, as did mine, talked about the Great Depression. In a sense, they talked about that more than they talked about World War II. And in hindsight, that surprises me. But how do you think um, our children, and our grandchildren will remember this period of, of, of you know, really two significant issues, COVID-19 and the uh, BLM. Well,
1: we will get down on bended knee, uh, open the Bible and pray that they will see it as a landmark which really made huge cultural differences. Uh, I mean, the obvious honest answer is we haven't got a clue uh you know and and people have been saying relative to the racial thing is it's damn near genetically driven and really erasing true biases uh is not going to happen overnight and and just you, you don't want problems more problems to arise but you really don't want this thing i think it's a golden opportunity and You know, the other part of it, and I really hadn't thought about it this way, is when the iPhone generation, who don't actually know they're living human beings with things like skin, when the iPhone generation grows up, maybe meaning teenage and certainly meaning by college time, maybe they're going to look at the whole social interaction thing in a way that you and I can't even conceive. and that may be a good thing we may you know read that we're redefine, I mean, for god's sakes with you know work from home and with zoom and with the iphone generation and kids sleeping with their 70 percent of kids sleep or women girls sleep with their iphone under their pillow for god's sakes uh well there's it's uh it's it's deep that's deep social change that is called and i i mean on the other hand i always worry about that The great management guru, Henry Henry Kissinger. No, I don't think so. Henry Mintzberg uh, once said, it is the conceit of every generation to think that they are handling the world's most god-awful mess and things were easy in the old days. And what I think, again, given my age, is the the first part, I I wish I could, you know, I wish we had two hours because I would read the page out of my book. I think it was Henry who triggered it. I wrote a page in my book about what my mother had gone through. And she was born in 1909, and she died in 2005. And it was everything from long-distance phone calls to movies, and then, you know, a man on the moon, you know, by the end of her life, and, and so on. And at one level, I, as I wrote the thing, I kind of started laughing hysterically because it it made, you know, what was going on around me look a lot less significant.
0: Well, I think I'm gonna really uh, sort of light you up with this question. <laughs> Let's talk about the way the government, particularly Washington, whether it's, well, not it's just limited to Washington because we're seeing it in Texas with the governor's office, how government is handling the COVID-19 because you preach transparency and we're certainly, not really seeing that with COVID-19 from our elected officials at the highest level down to at least state level in many cases? Well,
1: one thing I feel very strongly about, and I cannot say i memorized the Constitution, is with the COVID-19 thing, we are being blessed by the founding fathers having left a hell of a lot of power at the states. Uh, because God knows we have not gotten the leadership uh, in any way, shape, or form. We've gotten leadership, but it's been 180 degrees in the wrong direction. And we've had 50 governors. And again, there have been pluses and there have been minuses. But I think a lot of them, and everybody uses Cuomo, and I'm not following New York that closely, a lot of governors have stepped up to the plate. Uh, and a lot of them, of course, like Michigan's governor have gotten, you know, whacked over the head with AK-47 stocks um, as a result thereof. But I, I think, I, I know how bad it is, but I bet you, if you and I knew in detail a lot more than we do, that I want to say significant majority, but a majority of the governor's you would give them passing or more than passing grades. And, and, we, and we don't think about states' rights on a day-to-day to day basis, partially because the media is totally focused on what happens in metropolitan Washington. I think a lot of governors have stepped up. Uh, I think the criminal thing, and we see it, I wore my mask today, just a small point. And I mean, for God's sakes, when you can politicize mask wearing and maybe get old age, you've got to shake your head. I mean, should I wear it? Should I? I mean, my whole point, and I got nasty about this on Twitter, and, uh, you know, supposedly, supposedly you were a non-mask wearer, and my response was, I don't give two hoots in hell about you, and I'm sorry to say I don't give two hoots in hell about your family. What I do give two hoots in hell about is you – poisoning people who are randomly selected on the street who have nothing to do with you it's, it's your power to screw them up that pisses me off not your decision as to whether you want to get the damn thing early or not
0: dallas baptist university is a global christ-centered institution whose students are making an impact in business law medicine education public service and the list goes on dbu is honored to sponsor the global iq podcast and to offer a significant scholarship for World Affairs Council members towards a master's in international studies. For further information about this scholarship or about DBU in general, email Lee Bratcher at leeb at dbu.edu. So I'm holding here a a printout um, and it's called Excellence 2020, the 27 number ones, and we won't have time to go through all of them. But one of the things that you have talked about for a very long time is put women in positions of responsibility. And we have seen a number of articles from The Economist and New York Times about how certain women leaders around the world, whether it's New Zealand or Germany, have done perhaps a more effective job in helping their countries get through COVID-19 than uh, others. Why do you think this is the case?
1: Well, I think you have to be incredibly careful about generalizations. I obviously agree with what you said. My short form answer is that from everything down to the genes, women are more thoughtful about human interaction than men are. And and I I just have to say this because I don't wanna piss a lot of people off. Gender traits are distributed on a bell-shaped curve. In general, women are much better listeners than you and I are. But obviously, there are men who are good listeners and women who are bad listeners. So I don't want to get—I uh, don't want to get convicted on that trap. But he, I mean, here there was a—I I read a book called *The Female Brain*, written by a woman called Luanne Dean who is an MD, PhD, neuropsych person from the University of California, San Francisco, and. There are a million little stories, but the one that really hit me between the eyes, which is a funny term to have used, (laughs) by the age of three days after birth, baby girls are making five times more eye contact than you and I are. And and to me, I don't know how the people who are listening to us or watching us are going to interpret that, but to me, that says this Paying attention to the the problems and so on on a one to one basis of people is a, a lot more of a female thing than a male thing. And the and the other thing about you know the photos that you showed, which I think is really terrific, is uh, you know, dear Jacinda in New Zealand is one thing, but Mrs. Merkel is a tough cookie. You know, Ph.D. in some unpronounceable uh, subset of chemistry and so on. But I, I, you know my remark when something happened in the news a couple of weeks ago, which is a continuation of what you asked, is I said, I want to go to Congress and I want to see a law passed that does not allow a male to be the CEO of a hospital. And, uh, you know, it's obviously a stupid statement, which it was meant to be, but it's the same issue. Uh, you know, and the hospitals are getting whacked, you know, People are sick, but they won't go to the hospital And the financial... Well, I mean, that's a different story because the, the conglomeratization of hospitals is very troublesome, to say the least.
0: Well, let's stay on hospitals for a minute because we are seeing um, Baylor Hospital here. Essentially, Baylor Hospital laid off thousands of people just for the reason that you said people aren't going to the hospital. They're not getting elected surgery. I've heard you recently speak about how important it is for companies during this period to really bite the bullet and keep their people employed, uh, reduce CEO salaries, and realize that we're in this for a certain period of time. And so my question to you is, now, I buy that completely last February and March. Now it seems a more difficult argument because we are in nearly July um, and, you know, we are not out of the woods. I don't think we're out of the first wave. So how does a, a large company like Baylor Scott and um, White look at this versus maybe a, a, a smaller company?
1: Well, and, and I, I don't want to get too badly slapped in the face for this. Let's talk about it in two different ways. One of them is the practical answer to your question. And one of them is the higher level thing of how the leadership team behaves. Uh, you know, I believe, which doesn't solve the problem of nobody getting elective surgery, but I believe that a significant share of this story is the intensity of the visible caring and concern for their fellow human beings that is exhibited by senior management, whether it's Macy's or whether it's Baylor or whether it's um, Mass General, which is our big hospital here, and its conglomerate had to cut wages for 50,000 people just a couple days ago. Uh, I think you can do things well and do things less well. Uh, I think you can and again, I'm just always worried about political loading. I think you can behave as if you had a union, even if you don't have a union, meaning both sides are equally engaged. Uh, I agree I agree with your fundamental premise that it's different now than it was three months ago when we were in a, this two will pass mode. Uh, and we can't talk about government bailouts because that's not your question. That will either happen or it won't happen. I think you've, if we're talking about Baylor or Mass General, and you've asked the question differently, so I, it's not one where I feel like I have some you know pat answer. I think I would really work hard to keep people's benefits, even if I had to give them a hit in the chops uh, relative to salary itself. You know, I would, I would, I would, I would die if I didn't think the in uh, mass general's case I would die if I didn't think the 50,000 people who worked for me were not able to continue on a significant basis relative to health care uh, whether it's Baylor or whether it's the Ford Motor Company Ford division of the Ford Motor Company uh, it, it's base human concerns uh, I mean you know the economists are saying it's going to take us well, it took five, six, seven years to work out of the two, 2008 thing, and this thing could go on for a decade or two. Uh, because, you know, the other part of it. Now, it turns out that this thing is, is happening at exactly the time that IT and artificial intelligence are going through the roof, and the acceleration of the use of AI is just insane. And there were a couple of Oxford economists who became famous and there are some questions uh, about three years ago. And they said that artificial intelligence will dramatically to the point of unemployment affect 50% of white collar jobs in the United States over a 20 year period. And so there was also already an insane amount of yogurt that was hitting the fan. And you know once everybody gets used to WFH, the, it's entirely possible, and I've talked to some buddies who are real estate developers, that the towers of Houston, Detroit, Boston, et cetera, are going to be half empty. Uh, you know, the, the other thing. So let me and ask I you that. had some real blowback on this on Twitter. Uh, if you know any four star generals, uh, I want to see a Thunderbird's flyover specifically dedicated to the housekeepers and lower level employees in hospitals. Uh, And I realize it's money that could be spent somewhere else, but the reality is the Thunderbirds and the Blue Angels are not gonna lose their budget. You just have to be so careful. Uh, Saying thank you doesn't, doesn't equate to money in the pocket. God, do people rise to thoughtfulness. You know, you said, I don't think you said it on the air. Maybe you did. You did say it on the air. Uh, You were a Virginian. I'm a Southern Marylander whose mother was a Virginian. And I have said to many people, I am sure my mother did very well on fundamental love. But the number one thing she gave me for all the problems we see in the South at times was Southern courtesy. (laughs) <laughs> and yep. you're know, behaving decently toward others. What you, you talk know, about is be kind.
0: Away. You always say be kind. And I, I, I loved where you wrote about how when you are hiring someone from not your human resources division, but your people division, you want to hire people who are kind. And talk a little bit about how you don't always want to hire the A performer that sometimes it's better to have a different group, a different context.
1: Absolutely. That's, uh, as you know, you're setting me up because you know it's a favorite question right now. <laughs> uh, one one of the people who was quoted in my last book runs Optinose, which is a pretty big deal. Peter Miller's his name, pretty big deal biotech company. Uh, and he said, we only hire nice people and Here's the important catch that our listeners, viewers should, should listen to. He said, okay, I need somebody for a technical job. And it is a degree that you, Tom Peters, can't even pronounce the name of, which is associated with biochemistry or what have you. He said, let me tell you a secret that I found out. There are actually a lot of people in the world that have that degree. Don't hire the jerks. And it's not because, oh, my God, I need a Stanford, I need a uh, you know computer science thing. So that's number one. Nice people are around. And God, is he serious. You're the guy with the degree. I interview you. I'm the CEO. I fall desperately in love with you and want to hand you the contract while we're talking. But his rule, and he uses the term, I know it's not a new term. After you finish talking to me, you've got to run the gauntlet. And that's 15 interviews. And it's interviews with receptionists. It's interviews with junior accountants in the finance department. And any one of those 15 has veto power over your hiring. Uh, And it's, and, and, you know, I I think that's just, as you know, I'm I'm rabid on this topic. Well, the other one that you said, uh, there was a fantastic Google study that Google did two topics. Number one is characteristics of best employees. They identified eight characteristics and seven of them were the so-called soft stuff, like listening, appreciating people with cultural backgrounds that were different and so on. Uh, And then they did, which is the one that in a way our listeners and viewers want to hear more uh, is they assessed the most innovative Google teams. And remember, this is Google where 275 is considered a low IQ. Uh, and Google does something which I think is a disgrace. People are ranked as A players or B players. A, I think it's a disgrace to humanity. And I A I, B, I think it's stupid because there's no never been a better way to you know demotivate 50% right. of the population. Yeah, yeah. But yes, yes. Uh, but the B player teams, same story were much more successful than the A player teams, and it was the same damn list. They did a list of the attributes, and it was listening, it was respect. One of them, when we think about the Googles and the Facebooks and so on, is, and I loved it, because it actually came in first or second on the list, no intellectual bullying. And I'm sure you and I have both been around some 275 IQ people, and their level of self-certainty Goes through and there, and even though your IQ is only 274, and what a schmuck, you know. I don't even talk to people like you, but I love I love the Google thing. And so I, I'm arguing, a, and the second part is the <clears throat> pragmatic one for people who are listening to us with you know at least middle-sized companies. A, hire for EQ, hire nice people, hire empathetic people, but B, and this is actually more important somebody who has a company of 25 or more people. EQ is first, second, third, and fourth for every promotion decision. Hmm. The most, you know, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the research evaluations here are all over the map. Uh, 50 to 75 people, 75% of people all over the world are not engaged with their jobs. Uh, and I don't care whether it's Mauritius, I don't care in the United States, whether it's Mississippi or Massachusetts, the number one reason people are not engaged is the quality of their first line manager. And then you've got these stats, which say the effectiveness of the first line manager is the number one variable that it contributes to productivity, to innovativeness, to retention, et cetera, et cetera. So I hope you'll listen to me relative to EQ and hiring. And I damn well order you to listen to me relative to EQ and the promotion of people into management positions.
0: You know, I have never liked the phrase soft skills. It's just like in international politics, we talk about Joseph Nye, soft power versus hard power. And as someone who happens to have- ah, a you World Sp-
1: Affairs Councils guys. Ah, the people you cite, I love it. <laughs>
0: yeah. But, you know, I mean, the skills that you learn by majoring in English, foreign languages, anthropology, they're important, and you've actually shown that us liberal arts majors who might not make very, I mean, heck, my first job, I think I was making $12,000, but uh, in in the end, you've found that liberal arts majors actually do better.
1: Well, there are two things. And uh, if we were speaking longer, I'd get up and walk across the room. Uh, Thing number one, and interestingly enough, it goes back to Mr. Mintzberg, our Canadian guru. Uh, He did research that said exactly what you said, except it's got hard numbers. Uh, When your kind of people, English majors, graduate, you get one half as many job offers at one half the starting salary as my kind of people who were the civil engineers. Then we track it at year 20, you are, kicking us in the butt the liberal arts people have shot past the engineers and the mbas and so on and there was something which said and in fact some big financial services company did a did a study 75 of the worst of their worst managers were you know mbas engineers and so on and you know that makes that makes perfect and there's been just a you know you can sit there and, click a button, look it up on Amazon or Google or what have you, there has been a uh, a spate of books in the last eight months published on why the liberal arts degree is more important than ever. Uh, And it always has been one of them. The one title I remember because it was such a good title is called The Fuzzies, F-U-Z-Z-I-E-S, The Fuzzies and the Techies, Why the Fuzzies Will Rule Silicon Valley. and, you know, I just want to divert with that because it was actually something I was thinking about and wrote a little bit about yesterday. Um, I read, and it makes sense, that AI within five to 10 years will have no trouble doing the work that is done by a junior Google engineer with a 4.0 average from Stanford or MIT. Uh, that, that is wipeoutable. Uh, by artificial intelligence. The jobs that won't be wiped out will be the ones that require human interaction. I, I, I've got this term which you can like or dislike, and I call it extreme humanization. The way companies will succeed is being, by, is be, you will use the technology, but by being more human than you have ever been before. Creating experiences with emotional attachments that are more significant, than before. And so it's, you know, I, I what I wrote in this, the, uh, you know, the only thing left for us is us. Uh, it's the, It's the people stuff, which is going to drive things more. And I don't think I'm being a soft-headed old fart when I say that.
0: Well, Tom, this hour has gone by way too quickly. I really want to thank you for spending time with us and you stay well. And I, I hope you'll write that next book too, because I think there's so much that you'll be able to glean from how companies and CEOs and others are, are uh, wandering through this situation. So. Well, you
1: know, I've said to people, uh, I really would like to have the royalties, but I've written 18 books and every one of them says exactly the same thing. <laughs>
0: <This>. <laughs> no, they don't. I've read L- a few. Listen
1: of them. up, take care of people.
0: Stay safe, stay well. Tom, I hope to see you next time in, in Dallas. I
1: hope so as well, and thank you for your time and attention, and thanks for great questions, and it was a
0: fabulous hour. Have a great weekend, everyone. Bye-bye.